What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. The erotic has been a force-driving technological innovation virtually always. From Stone Age sculpture to computer bulletin boards, it has been one of the first uses for a new medium. John Tierney, a fellow at Columbia University, wrote this in a New York Times article in 1994. He studied the cultural impact of technology, tracing what he called the erotic technological impulse back at least 27,000 years And from the dawn of the digital age, there has been a pretty big focus on the, quote, male gaze in porn and other things erotic. Today's guest has been part of an awesome shift toward the female gaze and more innovations in porn. Brie Mills is an award-winning adult filmmaker and chief creative officer of Adult Time, a streaming service for adults. Her work leverages art, sexuality, and cinematic narratives to Trojan horse powerful messages into the hearts and minds of her audience. If this episode entices you, please head to beducated.com, where you can take first-class online courses delivered directly to you in your bedroom. Beducated is still offering $20 off for Girl Boner listeners on their best-selling female orgasm online course. If you have a vulva or your partner does, it's such an amazing video. They have guided audio tracks and demonstrations where you can actually see the bodies, which is great and so helpful. Use the code GIRLBONER, no spaces, during checkout to get started. And you can also find the link down in the show notes. Brie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So I know you um, were born in Boston, grew up in Canada. What did you learn about sex and sexuality when you were a kid? Well, I had a very, um, uh, you know, I think especially ultimately what I have ended up doing in my life, I had a very um, uh, open-minded and liberal upbringing, uh, one that really kind of gave me the foundations in my own identity and and self-expression to do what I do now. Uh, My uh, parents divorced when I was eight. Uh, My father actually came out. Uh, so, and I was raised primarily living with uh, him and his partner, my siblings and I. And my father, who's an academic, um, started to really incorporate sexuality studies within his areas of concentration. He's uh, uh, an English professor, a comparative literature professor, and so he started to uh, to also uh, focus on um, uh, on uh, sex identity and sexuality studies. He also uh, was quite an activist, uh, still very much is, but he was involved in as a curator of a um, art exhibition that went around the world in the late 80s, early 90s called Visual AIDS. Um, And he also uh, founded the first research institute um, and academic library uh, focused on gay and lesbian studies uh, in uh, the 90s as well. So I (laughs) very much had a, a, you know, kind of an unorthodox uh, upbringing, but one that where, you know, um, areas of censorship, particularly around sex, um, was uh, something that uh, we very much uh, broke down those walls. uh, And I was uh, exposed to a lot of... um, you know, a lot of subjects uh, um, through living with my father and through his work 
Uh, and also because we had this sort of non-traditional family unit, my father being a gay parent and out gay parent, uh, you know, in the 90s, uh, a lot he, he did a lot of kind of press appearances, a lot of um, academic uh, writing based on our family structure. So I was sort of in a way like in the limelight, you know, within that particular circle um, from the time I was a child. So it uh, it definitely gave me a, a kind of a boost in that direction. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, sometimes at times because my father you know, really uh, was very anti-censorship. He, you know, wanted to make sure that his kids, um, you know, uh, were educated. Uh, we, you know, we did um, have probably conversations about these subjects before a lot of other kids would have them. Uh, sometimes at the time it was like a little bit, I don't want to talk about this, Dad. Uh, but now that I'm an adult, I look back and I see yeah. that it was uh, valuable. You know, valuable yeah. yeah. And also you obviously take after him in some important ways, being so outspoken, mm-hmm. being I read that you've called yourself a bit of a uh, shit disruptor. <laughs> shit disturber, I can yeah. see that kind of... Uh, a disturber running in your in your family a little bit. That's awesome. Do you remember the first time that you saw porn or any kind of adult content? I do. Um, so I was. Uh, I I can I can tell you quite honestly. It was uh, one evening. I was watching a copy of The Little Mermaid on VHS. I didn't finish the film. I went to bed the next morning. I got up to finish the film, and it was not The Little Mermaid that was in the VHS player. So that would have been actually the first time I ever saw a porn. I remember it was two very kind of burly guys with a motorcycle uh something maybe about a massage happening at a motel um <laughs> but i do remember seeing that i i would have maybe been 10 or 11 years old again it was just uh, accidentally left in the vhs uh and i remember um uh, knowing that i wasn't supposed to watch it knowing that it was definitely something that was like one of my dad's movies i wasn't supposed to watch it but being like pretty um like pretty sucked into like no pun intended wanting to see what happened like I I, I think because I knew I wasn't supposed to watch it I wanted to watch it of course so it's yeah, much more tantalizing yeah, yeah, it's like so, the plate of cookies they're like don't touch those yeah those motorcycle guys and you know of course I, I, you know I'm I, I am a lesbian myself and and you know I have um I, I think I officially came out about halfway through high school, but there is sort of no doubt, you know, from a very early age where I fell on the Kinsey scale. So, you know, even though I, it wasn't necessarily my type of people in the scene, I do remember being like quite like, ooh, intrigued by just, you know, kind of the taboo aspect of it, I suppose. Um, but otherwise, I didn't really watch a lot of porn. You know, I grew up in, I grew up in the 90s, so it was, you know, the Internet was just coming you know, kind of coming uh, around when I was finishing high school and, and I didn't use it to look up pictures of, of girls. I remember porn for, m- for me was like either you'd find a magazine somewhere or when somebody turned 18 as part of their birthday celebration, just as like a novelty, you'd go to the video store and like rent a porno. So I, I remember that happening. You know, I remember yeah. this poor boy who rented a porno and and brought it to a party and then someone stole it and he had to go back and, you know, pay for it at the video store. That was about like the extent of my porn watching experience. <laughs> Do you remember, and maybe they still have these in some places, but... Well, obviously, they don't have any VHS rental places anymore, but mm-hmm. I certainly grew up with those as well. And in the back, they would have this, like, secret room. Oh, yeah. Where you could – what they had some name. I can't remember. But you could watch porn in, like, a little – it was almost like a video game. And Yeah, like a peep show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think you can actually – there are some, some adult stores – 
that still have that where you can kind of go to the back and it, effectively it's a like a, a peep show place um but it it's not as common i think as it once was <laughs> now that you can you know two clicks you can watch whatever it's in your you want. pocket and yeah. tell you what as you were saying that i was imagining how interesting it would be in like corporate offices when you think of things that make your clientele and your staff happy and feel fulfilled sexuality and pleasure are a huge thing so you know they have like nap pads in some mm-hmm. places you know there could be like a sex lounge where there were the peep show part there's like little private areas with toys and sexy massage and, yeah you know i i think we're pretty far from that probably but uh yeah that i, I could think of all like the H, the hr the human resource <laughs> like red flags going yes off. says the ceo you, yeah. you you have a good understanding of that i'm sure so what was the sort of journey into uh, working in the porn industry? Did do you remember kind of an aha moment? So I was, um, uh, I my background is in marketing and communications, and because I started working really in the early two thousands, uh, I. Uh, have been almost entirely involved in um, online marketing or e-commerce marketing. So I worked um, very much in the mainstream space, uh, mainstream entertainment space. So I worked for, um, uh, you know, companies that worked uh, third-party sellers on eBay and Amazon. And then I ended up working for Tower Records before, right as they were going bankrupt. And I was uh, Tower.com's marketing manager. And in about 2008... Uh, I got a call and it was a, I was sort of being headhunted. I was living in Montreal uh, in Canada at the time and I got a call from a recruiter that was asking if I'd be interested to apply for a marketing position at this company called Gamma Entertainment. And while they were kind of giving me the pitch, they mentioned, oh, you know, just so you know, like it's a company that works within the adult space. Uh, you have to remember, it was like 2008, so the, <laughs> the world's finances were crumbling. Um, you know, Tower had, had just gone through bankruptcy. It wasn't really looking very good there. And I thought to myself, hey, you know, I'm, I'm open-minded. You know, it's probably porn's recession-proof, right? And I went in and um, uh, did uh, my job interview with uh, Gamma's um, president, uh, uh, Carl, and he and I just sort of clicked right away. Um, there was just, it was a good interview. Um, and, uh, we just, something kind of vibed and they gave me, they gave me the job. I think I was the first official marketing person they ever hired. This would have been back when we were still a pretty small company or maybe about 40 people when I, when I entered the team 10 years ago. And I didn't really have any expectations. Like I, I didn't watch porn. I mean, I, I think I downloaded maybe one clip in the internet era. And I remember it was something that I downloaded. And back in those days, it took you two days to download something. And the file was upside down, like it was rendered upside down. So you had to turn your like <laughs> monitor upside down to watch it. So, and it was like one minute long. So that was, I, I wasn't really, um, I wasn't an enthusiast, uh, but I became really fascinated by just the the culture that online porn and 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 cam sites and you know I, all of these different um, offshoots of of the adult industry online are because it's as a marketer and as somebody who's always been really interested in in uh, the psychological drivers behind you know what people like and what they consume and everything it was like an amazing petri dish for me so I um, over the years working for Gamma as their marketing director and I became I think their creative director at one point and I was doing all kinds of stuff I was um, you know working on campaigns for other uh, adult 
studios because Gamma at the time was the pay site or like the the web technology partner of studios. So we would build websites, run um, membership sites for companies, but we never produced content. We weren't really like directly implicated in production itself. So I got to see all different kinds of stuff, different niches, different types of creators and different kinds of fans. And it was just really fascinating. And, um, you know, when we decided to get involved in, in trying to produce content ourselves, um, I was at a point in my career where, yeah, I had always kind of just done, you know, do we need to do this? Okay, I'll go do this. You know, I think I redesigned our office at a certain point. You know, I was ready for a new challenge. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll give this a shot. And I never had stepped foot on an adult set. I had never even, like I said, I wasn't a big consumer uh, of content, um, but I thought it would be really just interesting um, to to try to marry what I was seeing people, uh, fans were interested in with just creativity, which I, which I have always been really interested. I've always been into creative writing and I did a lot of theater growing up and, and have a great appreciation for pop culture and films and television and everything. So I just kind of took that approach and the rest is history. That's awesome. I love that you just dive into these things that you're like, I looked at it once. <laughs> and uh, and then you're you're working in the industry and then you're creating films that and you'd never been on a set. That's that's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. I know that the porn industry is ever changing mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've seen a lot of change in the past five years or so. What would you say are some of the biggest shifts? Mm-hmm. Well, there's been uh, everything ebbs and flows. Right. And and. I think you have to, if you look at what's happening in the industry over the last couple of years, you have to look back a little bit longer. So, you know, adult during the 70s and 80s was very much modeled after after the mainstream film industry. Uh, there were the, the companies that, that the big studios um, uh, were focused mostly on the same distribution methods as mainstream filmmakers, um, home entertainment, so DVDs, VHS, uh, even uh, film, uh, theater, and broadcast. Uh, There were um, not a very large population of performers, right? To become a performer was a pretty difficult gig, and, and, you know, people aspired to be vivid girls, to be contract stars. Um, It was a kind of a hard industry to get into. It was a pretty small industry. Uh, And when the internet came along, that really disrupted the traditional way of production and distribution for obvious reasons. All of a sudden, um, content became much more accessible. And this was great because it meant that, you know, people could um, not only you know watch content more freely, but could explore kinks and uh, you know um, uh, you know their own sexual identities in a, a much more uh, liberal and inclusive way. Uh, so that meant the sort of the breadth of content started to stretch out, and you got a lot more people who otherwise were producing very very small scale independently to be able to have a larger audience. Um, people began to become more uh, vocal and find communities. Uh, but it also changed the mentality behind the production. It, you know, it wasn't about being the studio system anymore and making films like, you know, Pirates, uh, you know, which was something like half a million dollars to make. Uh, all of a sudden it was about how fast can we create content to get up online and more and more people doing that. And that drove production value down. It drove standards down. Many, many more people started being able to come in um, and shoot content. And there was just a very big shift. When uh, the tube sites began to 
you know, become popular in like the mid 2000s. And obviously, ultimately what MindGeek did or what the company that would become MindGeek did by kind of aggregating all of the big tube sites and then really becoming the largest adult sites in the world and some of the largest sites in the world, period. Then it just became all about uh, either getting certain kind of advertising material um, or, uh, again, just fighting to try to get your clips viewed because otherwise your clips were being stolen. And, uh, and it caused a lot of studios that had previously been operating to drop out and um, a lot more independent producers to come along. And over, you know, the, say, last 30 years, um, we've kind of hit this point with the free market and with like the and with the uh, web becoming the primary source of distribution that we're now kind of returning a bit to quality. But the quality is coming much more from the voices of the content creators themselves and from the performers themselves. So in the last couple of years, because of technology, uh, there have been multiple new platforms that have been launched and have been adopted by performers to upload and monetize their own content. Uh, obviously, social media has allowed people to build very large followings and essentially become the biggest brands in porn. So studios and companies like myself are no longer the ones driving the views to the performer community. It's very much the other way around. And that shift in power um, has meant that, uh, you know, more and more performers don't need to rely on studios anymore, which, you know, you would think that that I would kind of come out and say, well, this is a bad thing. But I actually think it's the best possible thing because, you know, with the sh- sort of the, the free market that came with the Internet, um, you know, it, it took away a lot of the infrastructure that had existed within the studio era um, and it became much more kind of a Wild West uh, and now, because the performers are kind of taking back the power and taking back the reins, they're able to be more vocal about standards, about boundaries, about the type of content they want to make. And overall, that's going to make our industry a better place. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that that from my earliest sort of producing days and certainly when I moved to Los Angeles and I started directing on a more full-time basis, one of the things that I recognized was not only are the performers within adult strong and empowered, um, you know, and beautiful people on, you know, so many different levels, but they have really amazing ideas and they know their bodies and they know their experiences. And if you work with them, you make that much of a better end project. And, and so it's been a pretty big part of my personal approach to to production is to to do it hand in hand with performers and to ultimately use the position that I have of influence and also the platform that we have now with adult time to give them a space to be able to to express themselves and to um, uh, to create the kind of content that they want. Mm. Uh, And, um, you know, hopefully that's a, a way that we as as a studio conglomerate and evil company mm-hmm. uh, can can um, evolve ourselves within the next few years, as I suspect we will just be continuing to go in this direction. That is so smart, and I commend you for that uh, approach to work with the performers. I think that's so important on so many levels. I mean, business-wise, as you said, that's how you grow, um, but also that they are so empowered and know themselves 
makes for much more fascinating and compelling content and much more diverse content. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I had the impression, as I think a lot of people around me did, that if you were in porn, you were like forced to be in it or you had no other option. You had to look like a Barbie, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I've been really pleased to find out that there is, and I think there's always much more room for more diversity, uh, but that the performers I've talked to have talked to me about how helpful their work has been to their body image. Oh, yeah. Which was so contrary to what I had learned, you know, that they actually, having been in the fashion industry myself, that's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people feel Mm -hmm. in appearance-based businesses. Um, But because the power is in their hands, they get to shape Mm -hmm. culture in in a very, I think, impactful way. Absolutely. And, you know, again, the more and more we get down this road where performers of all different backgrounds, uh, all different sizes, shapes, colors, interests um, are able to kind of stand out and say, you know, this is who I am. This is my brand exactly as I am. This is what I want to do. This is what I don't want to do. And feeling that power, you know, then, then it's going to make content just that much more impactful. And I'm a very big believer, and especially as I've grown within this industry, that porn needs to be this balance between entertainment and awareness. You know, any type of media that has significant influence over culture uh, needs to not necessarily be accountable for the impacts of our work, but we just need to balance it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that we are accountable for being the default form of sex education in uh, American society, but we are. And so, you know, in addition to providing the fantasy and, you know, um, the entertainment, we also can use Uh, adult content as a way to tackle subjects that are quite intertwined with sex and sexuality but otherwise aren't going to be talked about um, to make some bold statements because we're kind of a you know we we are the outsiders so you know that that can make us kind of band together and, and be willing to talk about stuff that other people aren't so why don't we use that as a platform we can reach millions of people and then like I said also awareness you know breaking down a lot of the stereotypes and stigmas around um, uh, what's beautiful and, uh, you know, inclusivity and, you know, showing that a plus size woman can be, you know, uh, as adored and as, as, as beautiful and as sexually confident as a thinner person or, you know, that, uh, you know, this person from this background can be just as sexy and interesting and, and arousing as somebody from this background. So there's a lot that we can do once we seize the reins and once we, we are ourselves shed the stigma that because it's a sex industry and because, you know, you're a sex worker, that you are this, you know, cast off from society. If we're going to be the island of misfits, awesome. Let's become like the best island in the world. (laughs) Very well said. And I I love that idea of the misfits being the ones people can turn to for the topics that are taboo, Mm -hmm. that they can't ask the questions about in school, you know, where a lot of places don't have any access at all to sex education, much less accurate or comprehensive. So I think that's really huge. I want to shift gears just a little bit here um, to a listener question. Uh, It comes from 
from Anna, who wrote this. What healthy relationship habits do you recommend? The one I've been struggling with is how much time it's okay to spend with your partner versus not feeling threatened or ignored by him hanging out with friends. Thank you so much for your question, Anna. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Anna, thanks so much for your question. I'm going to start with the first part, which is what are the healthy relationship habits? And I'm so glad you asked that because I think we don't often think enough from the side of, in a sense, prevention and, you know, how do we essentially manifest the relationships that we want to be in and how do we um, both treat our partner as well as, you know, what are the ways we want to be treated? So let's just look at sort of the healthy relationship habits. And so let me, I'm going to give you a list. Um, so it starts out with respect um, because we certainly know uh, John Gottman is a well-known marital researcher who uh, is over 30 years, done extensive work in love and marriage. And when we don't have respect, he calls that one of the four henchmen that he can reliably predict divorce by 90%. So I just really want to highlight the role of respecting our, our partners and spouses. And then the other qualities are honesty, trust, and support, shared responsibility, open communication, physical affection, and intimacy. I'm sure it's no surprise to anyone listening and, um, you know, that intimacy, the physical and the emotional is incredibly important to a healthy relationship. So, you know, Gottman also refers to, and I think this part will be very helpful for your uh, question, is what he refers to as masters versus disasters of a relationship. And what we know about disasters is that they really get caught up perpetually in conflict and negativity. And that masters, they understand conflict is inevitable. In fact, Gottman would say, you know, over 60% of uh, conflict is unsolvable. And that I, I was myself shocked when I saw that statistic, as I'm sure many listening are as well. But what he's saying there is that certain things like, I'll give you an example, cleanliness. You know, it's not uncommon in a couple that one partner just has, you know, a level of tidiness, cleanliness that... Um, is, is not in line or in the same ballpark of their partner. And that's not something you're going to change. It's more like how are you going to manage that? And so here are the skills that master couples do in terms of managing conflict. And basically, which is, you know, in a healthy relationship, it's how do you balance both your own interests and those of your partner? And so it certainly starts off that these these are what he refers to as six conflict skills. And the first one is self-soothing. And so for you, Anna, it might look like when you feel like your partner is going out with his friends all the time, you know, you might start to feel like you're not as important. There may be feelings of jealousy, all those things that might be emerging and bubbling up. And so the first step is how do you on your own in a sense, breathe, right? Really just uh, slow things down and regulate, in a sense, your own nervous system um, and learn how to manage your own feelings. That's sort of the first and really important step. The second one is what he calls gentle startups. So again, it would often, it's not uncommon, it's what he refers to as a harsh startup. And that might look something like the, what we call the finger pointing you, where you might say to your boyfriend, you never want to hang out with me. You're always, you know, hanging out with your, your friends. You know, I don't really feel important. Again, even in that, I hope you can hear when I say always and never, we call that uh, black and white or all or nothing thinking. Again, that extreme should tell us in a sense, like, you know, it's, it's, we have a lot of feeling around it, but there's that exaggeration. And so what a so soft, soft startup would look like is sort of coming from the eye, you know, 
I really, you know, when you're spending a lot of time with your friends, sometimes it feels to me like, you know, you're not as interested in, say, hanging out with my friends or there's a particular event I'd like to go to, you know, really, what can we do? How can we make that happen, right? Where it feels like we can, this is where it's sort of making sides for both of you um, and taking on each other's perspectives. And that's part of what Gottman calls accepting influence, right? That you're really making room, even though it may be difficult, to hear your partner's point of view. And the recognition that understanding your partner's point of view and listening to it doesn't equal, we call that the validation, it doesn't necessarily equal agreement, but it is the willingness to see each other's perspectives, um, which is really important. And another skill is what he refers to as the repair tense. And so by that, he's sort of saying you have to own your side of the conflict and you're actively working to de-escalate. So if there's a lot of emotion or maybe raising voices or shutting down or withdrawal, that you're both actively seeking to reestablish your connection. And that ultimately in the last of these six skills is compromise. It really is the give and take. So that it doesn't feel like in this case, it doesn't feel to you, say your partner gets to do what he wants, when he wants all the time. Like it's not just anytime he wants to get together with his friends, you know, that's just what he does, right? That he's not taking time to think about what would you both like to do together? Or if you want to come to that event as well. So, you know, coming back more specifically to your part of the question, Anna, it's like there is really no gold standard here in terms of how much time is the right amount of time to spend with one's partner. You know, and so the first thing I want you to do is take a step back and ask yourself, you know, is this specific to this relationship or have you had this feeling before? Is this a common feeling that comes up for you where, you know, you're not feeling enough or that your partner isn't spending enough time with you? Because if you're having feelings of jealousy or insecurity and it's not specific to this relationship, that might be an opportunity to do more inner work and understanding what sort of deeper route this might be touching for you, right? What's coming up that it feels like it's part of a pattern. And if it's not a part of that, and it's specific to this relationship, again, it's the opportunity for you both to, you know, have the conversation, which is something about it isn't feeling right or enough. And can your partner really, as we're talking about earlier, sort of make room for, you know, is he accepting influence? Is he open to hearing your perspective? And ultimately, are you working together? figuring out like you're working as a team, figuring out together to figure out just for you as a couple, what is quote unquote, the right amount of time. So again, there is no gold standard, but it's really through the communication. So as always, love to hear how it goes. And Anna, I also want to invite you if you haven't already joined and anyone listening to my pleasure challenge, because there's still time tomorrow, the 30th at 6 PM Pacific, 9 PM Eastern, I'm going to be hosting a live Facebook where I'm going to be reviewing all the new insights and pleasure practices that everybody's been sort of exploring over the last eight days. And I've been experiencing and hearing such fantastic feedback that I can't wait to share it with you all as well as you know a few people are having some blocks and barriers and we're going to cover that too so you can find me live at Facebook at Dr. Megan Fleming so again that is at Dr. Megan Fleming and like I said I will be there to not only support and uh, celebrate all the successes of these past eight days but also to answer any questions that people are still having or any blocks or barriers that they may be confronting because Everyone knows what I'm most passionate about for 2020 is your pleasure. So please join me tomorrow live on Facebook. Again, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Can't wait to see you there. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Everyone, please do sign up for her pleasure challenge, greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure. I signed up and it would be really fun to share in the experience with you. Uh, Bree, so I guess we could go in many directions with this because uh, you work with um, performers, you have relationships with people in your company, um, and then also with your wife. What um, came to mind for you as far as like a healthy relationship habit? Well, um, I will uh, maybe I'll keep it romantically rooted just since I think that was uh, that was the question Uh, for for me. It comes down to probably the most important thing is sharing the same core values as your partner. Um, You know, uh, what your core values are are going to differ per individual. But the things that are really the most important to you uh, generally, at least in my experience, having those mesh well with with your partner is going to be kind of the key to success. And if they don't mesh, then it's that it's ultimately uh, probably not going to work out. So having um, your kind of key values aligned communication uh, is very important. It's very important also to define the balance between yourself as a member of that partnership and yourself as an individual and not to lose too much of one or the other, but really to keep that balance. You know, I think that uh, uh, for me, I've always been a very, uh, I've always been a workaholic. I've always been very strong minded and very kind of unilaterally focused and so for me my challenge is making sure that I really balance my family time with my wife and and with our daughter um, and making sure to kind of just not have that consume me because otherwise it will because that's the easy thing and likewise for you know my wife uh, I know that for her it was finding you know it, it could be very easy to just be part of you know the the, the Brie Mills show um, but that wouldn't be helpful to her and her identity so for her it was really important to carve out think her own career her own you know things that are very important to her as an individual and then we each have our own things and we can come together and really focus on our partnership and you know the last thing is just not to take anything for granted relationships are hard work um, you know if you let them put them on coast mode you're gonna get you know those kinds of results so Making sure to make time, go on dates, you know, have like talk, you know, be have Mm -hmm. physical intimacy, have emotional intimacy um, and uh, make sure to never, never forget that that is a living, breathing organism that you have to grow and 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 nurture. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that work is not a negative thing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Dr. Megan has said work is not a dirty word, you know, just like sex is not. (laughs) Um, That I think sometimes we can get the idea that because of romances we've seen in in films or fairy tales that everything's just magical all the time. And it's not. My uh, mom gave me this book, uh, Khalil Gibran's The Prophet, Mm -hmm. that she and my dad read when I was or when they were first dating. And uh, it has this quote that I love. Let there be spaces in your togetherness and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Mm. And I love that because it's first of all, beautiful, but then also this idea of, you know, don't let the the connection become something that is, uh, you know, not flexible mm-hmm. and, and where you lose your individuality. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, that's a much, much more eloquent way of describing what, 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 I, loved the, what, you shared. Was, no. what I was trying to say. But yeah, it, absolutely. And yeah. it can apply. Like the same thing applies to, you know, the people you're working with, you know, having that 
the values that align you all together. So even if you have different personalities and different areas of focus, you can all come back to the same kind of core things that like, hey, this is what we're all here to do together. And knowing that, you know, that there needs to be that balance and styles and, and personalities and that ultimately it's something to work on. Don't take it for granted. 100%. Gratitude is so, so huge. Mm-hmm. It really is. I know that with adult time, you are breaking traditional conventions and you are doing porn differently. Mm -hmm. You're making waves. Would you speak a little bit about that, what you're doing and what you offer? Sure. Well, so uh, I guess I'll give some context into what adult time is. Um, As I mentioned, I've been in the I've been producing, uh, writing and directing content for the last five or so years. And, um, you know, my uh, original approach, which was very much, you know, at this point, there are about 50 people involved in adult time. And we work with many different, um, uh, you know, crews working uh, as part of our project. So it's definitely not an I thing. Speaking of making sure uh, to to uh, recognize uh, and, and cultivate that. But 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 when I was originally starting, um, I had a just an unorthodox approach to production because I didn't kind of grow up in adult production. I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't have the rule book to adhere to. I kind of looked at it and thought, ah, I don't want to do that, you know. Um, and so I just started mixing things up. And and you, the first, uh, I helped to launch two studios um, and each of those were kind of built on this mentality of going kind of against the grain. So the first one that uh, we launched was a, a studio called Girls Way, which is now the kind of most recognized lesbian brand in adult. At the time, lesbian content was an afterthought. It, you know, there were sites out there and series, but it was very much like not as commercially viable as boy-girl content. And, you know, you wouldn't want to probably do a whole network around it. And when we launched Girls Way, we were the first all girl network in existence and we were fortunate that we did so right at a time where you know lesbian was becoming the most searched type of content in the world of which you know it still very much is and the approach we took was let's make it a soap opera let's make it you know let's uh, somebody once described this as the marvel comics of lesbian porn which has always been like my favorite compliment but we you know like just things that we thought would be like fun from a narrative um perspective recurring plot lines and characters and you know not not taking ourselves too seriously and being a bit meta with ourselves and with our fans and involving our fans in the you know in, in crowdsourcing ideas and 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 just you know that was sort of my first big learning curve as to like wow when you do porn differently you know it's not only um kind of more creatively stimulating oftentimes but also people really respond to it and I took that experience and the next studio I launched one of the things I wanted to do is I was seeing that many taboo subjects were you know super popular within the industry um, probably the faux sesh genre being the biggest one the stepmoms and step everythings and one of the things I found kind of distressing about that was that that you know it was very very popular, but it was always treated as really lighthearted, slapstick comedy, tee-hee-hee, dad caught me masturbating, isn't this funny? But when you look at the actual subject matter, especially from like a social, you know, kind of critique, um, you know, oftentimes very complex stories and situations, very psychologically driven situations, and, you know, um, erotic fiction and even online sites like Literotica, the way that they were tackling a lot of these subjects was definitely a more with a more serious tone. And so I thought, what if we used, what if we went into this area that's very popular and instead of just making another slapstick comedy, lighthearted, you know, kind of fluff piece, what if we tackle these subjects seriously? 
um, and we treat them more like the the dramas that they are than as a joke. Uh, and that could we use this to make a uh, almost in a way a critique about desire? And could this be a platform not just for people like me to 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 tell stories and to make social statements, but something that other people could get involved in, namely our performer community? And we launched Pure Taboo. Um, which kind of, again, took the industry by storm, mostly because there was nothing like it. The approach that we were taking to our production was much more like you would see on a show from Netflix. We did, um, you know, 60 minute, 45 to 60 minute serialized, uh, like anthology episodes. Um, And we started to invite performers who had stories to tell. Some of them were personal stories and in a way, a way to use a creative outlet to process, uh, which was very, very, very powerful, very powerful to be part of that. Uh, And then also, so others just uh, subjects that they wanted to shine a light on. And again, we have the opportunity because of our, our reach with people watching content that we can tackle some of these fantasies and these subjects that people watch and, and make them think. Somebody once described uh, Pure Taboo as being porn with a side of guilt, which I think is probably pretty appropriate. Uh, but anyway, that was that again, that was sort of like the next big learning curve for me. And at that point, once I had, you know, kind of hooked up with a certain group of people to make the content, I was super inspired by what we were doing. I was super inspired by how engaged the performers were and how, you know, um, how powerful their performances were um, as credible actors. And so um, I needed a space as a creative to do more. And the challenge with the traditional like adult pay site market or membership site market is you kind of have to like find a gimmick, shoot a million updates that fit that gimmick. And that's just kind of how you build a site. It's, it's, For a lot of the ideas that I had, they weren't necessarily sites that would have weekly update schedules. They were more like films or television series, just adult television. And so I started to um, look at ways that we could break that mold. And it led me to do a lot of research on mainstream VOD platforms, so SVOD platforms like Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime, and a lot of what they, how they had uh, built their platforms to, to um, not only have a better understanding of what their customers uh, were watching um, with all the content engineering they did on the technology side, but also it just became this space of creative freedom, and um, uh, that was my original pitch to Gamma's. Uh, owners about adult time I wanted to create essentially the Netflix of porn but not just use that as like a blanket statement because we're not the first people to say that that's been said you know pretty much since Netflix there's been many Netflixes of the porn. Netflix of everything the ne- yeah, yeah but 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 really to be um to be a platform that was driven by by the values that we have, which are, you know, a focus on creativity, a focus on challenging conventions, a focus on production value, and really, you know, doing porn differently. Uh, and since that had been so integral to our success up until this point, why don't we just literally make that our vision and and create a platform that can be flexible to allow us to do many, to just do, you know, porn differently in so many different ways and invite other people to do that too. Um, so we launched Adult Time in uh, at the beginning of last year we've been so fortunate to see it grow um you know so quickly over the over the past year uh it really has become one of the most i think recognized you know uh brands within adult in such a short period of time and certainly now we're at uh, i think over 200 channels um of, of of different you know series and and uh not just our own proprietary or original series but also um channel partners who are everyone from you know well-known porn brands to 
independent creators from all around the world. So it's, uh, you know, this really great creative space with uh, tons of content coming out at all times. <laughs> and I have a place to play. I have a great place to play. It sounds like you are playing. I love that. There's such passion in the way you describe this. And because you focus so much on listening to performers and working with them, does that mean that they create a lot of the content? And I imagine that then they're not just being paid as performers, but is it more lucrative for them? Mm -hmm. So within our first year, um, the focus has really been uh, the way we've traditionally worked with performers is to invite them to collaborate with our different projects. Um, if they want to write a piece, uh, if they want to kind of come in and guest direct a piece, uh, if they just want to be involved, say if I'm writing and directing a piece, they just want to be involved with me during the day, kind of flushing out the characters and, and being involved in the production process. That has been our first year. I think as we move into uh, the next few years, and again, as I mentioned, there's a general shift as as performers are creating their own content now, one of the um, the first ways that we can become more inclusive is to ha invite more of these performers who have their own content that they're making to have their own official channel on Adult Time. Uh, we've just started to to get that going, and I would expect to see a lot more of that in the in the coming year. And then also to 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 just uh, be there as a platform um, and as a distribution outlet or option for performers uh, who have projects. So this is probably, I would say, the biggest, like right now what I'm getting, what's lighting up my inbox the most is uh, people who see what adult time is. They see the standard of quality of the content that we release. You know, they, they may know me personally or, you know, have just sort of seen some of my work and they want to get involved. They have, you know, I've got this film that I've written that I'd like to commission, or I have this project that I'm planning to finance that I need a distribution partner for. Uh, that would be like right now, not every performer is going to want to do that. You know, some are going to be totally content with their own amateur clips and the, the platforms that they're on. But there's certainly performers there that see, hey, this is this is a business and this is my business. And, and as I evolve, maybe one day I don't want to necessarily perform as much as I do. I want to get involved in other aspects of the industry. And, you know, when you have a combination of of experience and sensitivity, which a lot of performers by, by being performers have, and you've got uh, talent ideas, experience, um, insights, and you also have that drive and that passion, why wouldn't we give them a chance? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's, that's a, really where I see kind of the next step going. And like I said, my inbox is full of these ideas. We have more ideas than we do, sadly, production budget. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> the common, more support we can get, Hollywood the more we can shoot. Problem, yeah. probably. <laughs> but because you're growing and uh, meeting such, you know, acclaim, I think, that's the direction you're going, which is so fantastic. I love the idea of performers potentially having their own channels. That that makes a lot of yep. sense to me. One of your feature films this year you wrote, uh, and it's based on your own experience. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Teenage Lesbian. Sure. Uh, so uh, I had mentioned that the the first studio that that I ever created was an all-girl studio called Girls' Way. And so this is, we just celebrated our fifth anniversary. So when, um, uh, you know, Girls' Way as, as a brand um, is, is still quite rooted in traditional fantasy fulfillment and a lot of kind of, you would say, quote, unquote, male gaze type of scenarios. Uh, and uh, I haven't really, um, 
been directly involved in producing that content for a while now, a little bit here and there. Um, but I've obviously kind of been on my own creative path with other projects. And, and I started to get back into shooting Girl Girl last year with a series called Girl Core that we did for adult time, um, which was sort of my like just what you know, I'm so fortunate to be in, a, in the place of autonomy and trust I am that I can say I want to do a lesbian series that's based on classic lesbian pulp novel uh, tropes <laughs> and I'm going to set it in the 80s and it's going to be scored by this person. I can, I can kind of like pitch these projects that like on paper make no sense. But it was one of our awesome. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, we just we've got our second season going yeah. out now. It was I, the the most successful thing we did last year was in terms of like member reception was was girl core um and so when i when i got back to do that and it was a beautiful project i and i got to spend you know a lot of time kind of really making it uh what it was uh, i just I just remembered how nice it how nice it is to shoot you know uh, s- stories between women and and i wanted to tackle a uh the coming out subject and uh, but I didn't want to do it in a kind of a traditional fantasy fulfillment way. I wanted to do something that would be entertaining, you know, and arousing, but would be rooted in realism and in authenticity. And could we create a film that I believe at its very core is an important story to tell, regardless of if you're interested in watching uh, porn or not. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I, I was a teenager in the 90s. It was the last decade before gay rights was any kind of national conversation. Um, and even though that was only 20 years ago, it's just it's unbelievable how far we've come in that 20 year period. And it's also a really important reminder of the need to continue evolving socially. And so I thought that it would be interesting to set a story during that decade uh, and if I wanted to tell um, something that was really rooted in realism, I ultimately decided the best thing I could do was to tell my own story. And so uh, Teenage Lesbian is a work of fiction, but uh, it, you know, it, it tells the story of, of an 18-year-old girl in her final year of high school. Of course, all the characters that we have in any of our films, we are going to always make sure that they are 18 plus. Uh, so in, in that case, it was told over her final year of high school. Uh, but every sequence within the film is uh, rooted in something that actually happened to me. So it's kind of a collection of memories, really from the time I was, you know, kind of early adolescence through to my mid-20s. Really, I pulled from from that, you know, kind of 10-year period um, to boil down into this, you know, uh, fictional story. But what it gave me on set was the opportunity to work with my actors and I, I never write scripts. I always do treatments and then I uh, store, I workshop them with my actors. So actually all of the performances in the work I do are improvised, which if you think about it and if you watch, it's pretty incredible. Even your own, everything. St- I mean, the story based on yep. your life. Yep. That's but fascinating. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I write a treatment that is strong enough that as the sort of storyteller and as a director, I, I have a pretty good, I, I have a good idea of wh- where it's going to go. Character driven or plot driven? Um, this story is very much, I would say, uh, character driven. Um, and the treatments I write are a mix of both. So I, I write kind of in this hybrid style. of It's a story. So you can read it like a story. Uh, I give myself enough cues within my writing that as the director, I kind of know, um, you know, I essentially storyboard it. So I know I know the shots I'm going to get. I know what they're going to talk about. I know the emotions they're going to feel. I know all of the all of those details. Like uh, if you think of it like a, um, a color in the in the uh, you know uh, connect the dots. I have all the dots there, and then I work with my actors to just connect them. Uh, so um, 
you know, I was able to not only do my usual kind of thing when I'm a director in terms of being the storyteller and getting everybody to step into the shoes of their characters and to to work through each sequence, but I was able to also give the, okay, here's what really happened side of it. Um, And I was working with uh, mostly actors under the age of 25 uh, who, you know, if you tell them about Ellen's coming out episode, they don't know what you're talking about right because they just you know they 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 recognize there was a time there was a time out. there was a time yeah where <laughs> yeah. she was actually you know like did the bravest thing in modern and gay rights tremendous trouble for yes it. exactly you know um so I, it was a really it's a powerful experience to create your own memories and into a way to kind of seize power over them and, and i I went to, you know, like I showed the good, the bad and the ugly uh, within this film from my own experience. But I had such um, an amazing cast. And even though nobody or very few, actually, there was, I think, one uh, cast member who could relate because he had also grown up during that time. Uh, But, um, uh, you know, most of them certainly understood uh, the importance of telling the story and could connect, even if not directly, their own up bringing in their own experience uh, to to help uh, tell the story. Mm. We, f- we shot it primarily as an independent uh, feature film, so it is an unrated feature film, a mainstream film. It's been, uh, pl- it's placed in several uh, film festivals so far, uh, and uh, knock on wood, we're about to get hopefully picked up by an independent film distributor. And within the industry, we offered an uncensored version with an adult time. We actually offered both the films with an adult time, the uh, mainstream, like the equivalent of an R-rated cut, and the uncensored version, and they were equally viewed because people, you know, were really interested to see the nuances between the two, and also just they loved the story. Wow. And then we were lucky to win eight awards uh, a couple nights ago at the Expos Awards, including Movie of the Year. So there you go. That is so, so exciting. What was it like casting somebody? Were you involved in casting the person who would play the character based on you? So, yeah, I, I, I always... Um, will actually oversee the casting for all of my projects, uh, in part because I write with very specific people in mind. I I tend to keep kind of um, uh, an ensemble main cast that I will use for different projects, people that I know who I've worked with a few times. Um, Part of that is just with the style of directing that I do because it is improv-based. You know, certainly I'll I'll work with new actors, bring them into the fold, but I kind of like my main players uh, and I like to be able to sort of know, okay, I've written this role for this person because I I, I know they're going to to do well in this role and we're going to be able to work together well in this. So I actually, the lead role that was modeled after me, a character called Sam, uh, from the very beginning, I knew I wanted Kristen Scott in that role. Uh, she's a, a actress who I've worked with uh, many times over the years. Um, and uh, I just... I knew based on knowing her as a person, based on her own experiences, and based on uh, her range as an actress, I I just knew it would be the right fit. Uh, About this time last year, I pitched the project to her. I said, hey, I want to do this story. Hey, how do you feel about playing a younger version of me? Um, And, you know, we've always had a great working relationship. She was very, you know, committed from day one. And I wouldn't have made it if she had not said yes, because it, it you just needed it just needed the right person yeah. to play that role and, that she and to do knew it convincingly. You too. Yeah, had to help. Yes, yeah. Well, I think she she knew you know she definitely knew my style. Yeah. Um, we've worked on a number of projects, including uh, another big feature film that I'd done a couple years ago, and um, you know I think we just have a great respect for each other um, and can kind of it, I love being able to you know when you know your actors and they know you and you can just show up and just make art. 
you know, mm-hmm. so there's no there's no worry about introductions or familiarizing yourself. Like you just everybody's there to play. That's awesome. Yeah. If you could share in just maybe one sentence some advice for any creator, whether they're creating, they want to do porn, they want to uh, write, whatever it is, um, because everything you do is so artistic mm-hmm. and, and you approach things in that way and and also are such a great example of really embracing your art as a business mm-hmm. and uh, building it and treating it as that. What, mm-hmm. what would you advise someone who's, who's new? Sure. Uh, well, for me, the key ingredients that I look for in somebody is uh, uh, passion, talent, and drive. So, um, you know, it's it, when somebody sort of shows up knocking on your door saying like this is what I want to do here's examples of what I've done I will you know do whatever to get this Th- those are usually you know it's it's much more refreshing than somebody who's um, you know clocking in and out uh, or who is you know not necessarily looking to to execute but not necessarily to drive so talent passion and uh, and and hard work um, we you have the opportunity with platforms like YouTube and in the adult space with uh, Pornhub and the Model Hub program to create your own channels and to um, produce your own content. And so my advice would be to just do enough within your own means to showcase your passion, your raw talent and your drive, because once if you can communicate that. Uh, even if it's in its rawest form, somebody like me is going to see that and think, oh, my gosh, thank goodness, let's let's build this person or let's give this person a chance. The other thing I would recommend, which is really important, is to demonstrate your ethics, um, you know, especially with an adult. You know, it's, again, very easy to assume that, oh, you know, it's just going to be a party or everybody's just going to have sex. And it's, you know, it's something that you cannot take seriously or maybe you think you're going to, like, score a babe or whatever. No. Um, you know, the, we are looking for... Um, you know, people who are there for the right reasons, which is to create art, to make statements. Um, and so uh, making sure that uh, that you come in with the right pitch, which is I'm here for the right reasons and not because, you know, I think it's going to be this great party and I want to, like, <laughs> hang out with uh, naked chicks. No. Right, right. And a pitch that you have really put time and effort and thought into and not just... I want to create something, so I'm just going to make something up. <laughs> you know, yeah, just really exactly, yeah. Be yeah, prepared. Yeah. Do your do your homework. There's a myriad of resources out there. Google what the um, uh, what are their names? Uh, the brothers who created Stranger Things. They got rejected like ten times before Netflix picked up their show. If you do your research online, you can see their original pitch for that project. It was about a 12 page PDF. Read that. That's what you need to do. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm very curious. The Duffer Brothers. That's what okay. Are. Great. You're so inspiring. Uh, thank you for sharing such um, compelling um, information about your business and your your take on things and for your artistry. I feel like so many people like I feel like oh my gosh I'm gonna I'm gonna start working on my pitch like <laughs> like I, you feel like we're we're in a pitch room with you. So thank you for believing in artists and for um, you know really valuing creators and also creating 
this content that that is cutting edge in a really positive and empowering way. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Tell people where they can uh, learn more and and start watching. Sure. Well, if you want to start watching, adulttime.com, um, you can check it out. And uh, we offer different uh, uh, packages for people to test out our content. Uh, we are also available on social media. Um, you can check out our YouTube account where we actually post pretty extended um, uh, web series, like uh, mainstream web series and clips. So you can get a good taste of what our content is like by checking out our YouTube account. Uh, just search Adult Time and you'll see us. We're the uh, triangle. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at adulttime.com. And myself personally, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the Brie Mills. Thank you again, Brie. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please hit subscribe. If you haven't, consider leaving us a rating and review. A little shout out. I took a peek. Carl left a five-star review uh, from Sweden. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for listening. Have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. 